Hello and welcome to Minter Dialogue, episode number 246. Today is Sunday, the 27th of August, 2017. And this interview is with Nina Raditich, who spent 20 years of her career in news media, being evening news anchor for KVBC and KTNV in Las Vegas. Since 2012, Nina, who is a member of the Duct Tape Marketing Consultant Network, has been running her own marketing and media agency. In this conversation, we look at, from the inside, how and why news has changed over the years. What are the key learnings for businesses and executives running them? What should companies be doing to create better content and to cut through the noise? Welcome to the Minter Dialogue podcast, where we discuss brand marketing with a focus on all things digital. I am Minter Dial, your host and author of The Mindset, that's M-Y-N-D-S-E-T dot com, where branding gets personal. You'll find the show notes to the blog for the upcoming interview. Let's cut to the quick and enjoy the show. So welcome to the Minter Dialogue, Nina Raditich. Now, I love the name. I, I also love the voice as we've been listening to you. And the good news is we're in audio this morning as we pipe you in from five in the morning in California <laughs> or wherever you are in Las Vegas. So, um, yep. Nina, tell us uh, about yourself. And, and as I like to ask, what's your mindset this morning? Oh, my goodness. Well, good morning, and thanks for having me, Minter. And and you did such a nice job with my last name. Very few people can pronounce it like that, so I, I really appreciate that. Um, my name is Nina Raditich. I'm the owner of a, um, I like to call it a boutique digital marketing firm here in Las Vegas, Nevada, Sin City, as, uh, as many outsiders call it. Um, my mindset this morning is one of uh, focus and positive energy. I'm starting the day out right uh, talking to you, and um, I've got some really fun uh, meetings today, but I also have some big work that needs to get accomplished in between those meetings. And you know, when you have those pockets of time, um, you just really hope for the focus to get to get that stuff done. Right. So no, it's not exactly multitasking, but it's about being super efficient with the three and a half minute walk between this room and that room. <laughs> it's true. You know, I mean, even sometimes like an hour, sometimes I feel like I need more than an hour to get something done, especially when it comes to something that, that that's writing or writing a proposal. And, and that's sort of what's on my plate today. And, and so I have to remember that, you know, I worked in news where we were under deadline all the time mm -hmm. and that I can write quickly, but it's funny in business, you, you, the, the mindset sort of changes real. Like I need three hours to write a proposal when you mm -hmm. really, really don't, you just need a focused hour. You got to, you know, put the, put the phone in airplane mode. You got to turn off the email. And sometimes it's just really hard to do that. So I'm, I'm working on the focus thing today. I've already got my meditation in, so I'm good to go. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like the energy, Nina. It's interesting. Yeah, I was listening yeah. to a podcast uh, with Anne Handley. I don't know if you know her. Oh, I do. Like, She's amazing. Yeah. She is. And, and talking about how to write in, you know, in these days of being completely bombarded and overwhelmed, how does one do good writing? And she talks about this sort of uh, closed door, open door policy, uh, closed door, write without thinking about anything, just dump and then open door and think as an editor about the person you who's really on the other side. At the same time, we have to, you know, as much as we want to dump, we do need to be efficient. And uh -huh. should one, you know, people ask me, how do I keep my blog going so much? And uh -huh. I, I say, well, I try to, I do it in two times, generally speaking. I have this allocation of time, 45 minutes, I get the writing, then I let it sit, I digest, come back, and I go back into it to rewrite and add in links and so on and so forth, polish it up before I set it for my publication. So we all have to find our systems. And, and of course, whether it's doing a tweet or a blog post or a proposal, 
how does one, especially when you're starting out, know how much time to allocate to things? Yeah, I don't think you know until you start doing it. But I really like that method that you described. And in fact, I did that just this weekend. Um, I, you know, I outsource a lot of, of, of my writing for clients. And then what I end up doing is editing a lot of that writing. Mm-hmm. But when I do it for myself, so when I write for my own blog, I, I write for, for me in my voice. And it was funny because it's been about a month since I've written my last blog. And I, I had a blog that was due. And I thought, gosh, how am I going to do this? I, fe- I felt out of practice because mm-hmm. it's a muscle that needs to be exercised. The writing muscle needs to be exercised, right? And when you're out of practice, it feels like, gosh, I don't know how long this is going to take me. But I love the method you described, Mentor, because I did the exact same thing. I let myself write without judgment. I knew that the sentences weren't perfect and they weren't fitting together the way that I wanted them to ultimately. But I just allowed myself to keep typing and get the thoughts out on paper. Mm -hmm. I let that sit for a day. I came back to it. And what's always amazing to me is it's never as bad as I thought it was. (laughs) So I come back the next day and I go, wow, this is really something I can work with. Mm-hmm. And so I work with it then for, you know, about another hour. I'd say the whole blog post process, depending on the, the number of words, but mm-hmm. I tend to be wordy. Mm-hmm. So, you know, usually my blog posts are in the, you know, thousand word range. Oh, wow. mm-hmm. And so it takes me, you know, probably a good hour to write it mm-hmm. uh, without judgment and then come back and edit it takes about another hour as well. So again, when you're just starting out, if you haven't exercised that muscle, you're not going to know how long it's going to take you. But I would just say, I would encourage people to do exactly what you said, you know, write without judgment, because that's what's going to get the thoughts out on paper first. Mm -hmm. And that's what sort of starts everything uh, moving and going and actually giving you the confidence to know that you can do it. And and, and riffing on that, my existential problem has been the second part, where you go back in, you do the edit, but you also have to do this SEO stuff, which mm. uh, is, you know, at some time, if at some level it's good because you need to structure, you need to think about what you've already written before, you know, for backlinking. And then, but the issue, of course, is SEO is, an, is a changing, moving feast. And so mm. going in there, adding little subtitles, H2s, H3s and all that. Mm. It can slow It's down. exhausting. <laughs> it's exhausting, right? So, you know, I, I will say, though... Um, and, and again, you know, digital marketing is my thing. When I first started out, I was just doing social media marketing and I didn't know a lick about SEO. Um, and I just wrote about social media and I wrote with reckless abandon about social media, the things that interested me. And it did great things for my website at the time. This was the first iteration of my business when I first started in the entrepreneurial realm. And so I, I guess I would encourage people to not worry so much about that, especially if you're just starting out. I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. you've been doing this for a long time and you understand the importance of that from a long term perspective. Mm-hmm. But when you're just starting out, I think, you know, Google is really focused now on high quality content. I mean, that's what what they're interested in. They're interested in serving up the right content based on what people are searching for. Mm-hmm. The most relevant content. So I think if that you are writing in a subject that you are familiar with, stick to that for now. Start out with that and then work on the SEO stuff later. That's very lovely advice, Nina. So um, I want to go back into, you know, uh, media, uh, which is the largest part, I guess, of your background. And mm-hmm. and uh, I, I, I'm not sure if you're aware, but I, I there's an organization in Paris called the Global Editors Network, which has really been my sort of hotbed of, of understanding and linking into the media world. It's a, an organization that has roughly, well, has one major event a year where about 850 news 
editors from the world come together to talk about the future of news. So that this includes Google News to BuzzFeed to New York Times to Guardian, you know, and, and everyone in between. And uh, it's awfully interesting. So that's that's really my strong link into a need to understand about what's going on in media. From your angle, for having been a news anchor for so many years, right. how do you look at the, the, the span and what changed over it? You know, obviously the, the business models were going down. How has consumption changed? How do you describe the change over the period that you were a, an anchor? How much time do you have? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I I feel like so much has happened in the last decade and a half, Mentor. I mean, I feel like, you know, I I was in local news for for a total of about 20 years. I think it was was about 18 years. Um, And and really, I I think I can speak best about the local side of things. I mean, obviously, there's so much going on 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 the national and the global level. I mean, the Internet has just fundamentally changed the way that we consume news, the way that we get news. But I think I speak best to, to the local side of things. And I think the local news folks are the, are the ones that are really, really struggling right now to figure out sort of where they fit in this big, overwhelming Internet landscape. Don't you think? I mean, that's uh, the, the global folks as well, but they seem to have um, just sort of a better handle on how to manage the Internet and digital. Well, let me break that down, because on the one hand, if I'm local, is the mm-hmm. issue that everyone can read everything everywhere? Uh, so why why is the local problem more of a problem than the global one? I mean, are you talking about how global players are managing it as opposed to how local news outlets, because they may be maybe not as sophisticated, not as much? Uh, yes, I'm talking about sort of how they manage it, but I'm also talking about how they stand out as mm-hmm. well, because every everybody, and I guess this does apply, you're, you're right, in, in that it, it does apply on the global level as well, but everybody seems to blend in. And I think the biggest question that um, consumers have is where can I get actually accurate information that is unbiased? Because what's happening now, as you've probably seen, is we are going to the internet and looking for information that supports our assumptions and our opinions. And so local news has sort of tried to sort of, um, you know, adjust by providing dissection of stories as opposed to just here are the unbiased facts of a story. And they're just, they're trying to find ways to sort of stand out in this crowded landscape and get the attention of, of consumers. I really think that in the end, we're going to see them going back to basics where they go back to just reporting what has gone on as the news of the day, as the place for people to go for accurate information about a community. And, and I'm sort of hoping that that, that happens because where, where can you go now to get the information that you know is accurate and unbiased? Where can you go? Well, uh, let's talk about bias. <laughs> because in the end of the day, does bias or non-bias objectivity really sell? I heard a, I heard an interview you did the other day um, with, I think his name was Jason, and he was talking about how business owners now have to have a point of view, how important that is, right? I mean, I think right. that comes from this, this idea that if you are not spouting a point of view, that it doesn't sell. Right. Jason Miller, uh, yeah, he's from LinkedIn. He's a, a major ambassador for LinkedIn. Yeah, yeah, he had a he had an interesting perspective on that. But no, I mean, I think, yeah, I, I do think point of view does sell. But but what about the traditional people like me who just 
want to know what both sides are yeah. so that I can make my own decision. I mean, I haven't gotten away from that. And, and you know, I'm 45 years old, so maybe I'm considered a little bit old school in that. But I think that there are people that, that want to know both sides of a story so that they can make their own decision. Does it sell? It doesn't appear to sell in this day and age because mm -hmm. we've got the likes of Fox News and MSNBC or, you know, who, who yeah. are on, on opposite sides of the spectrum. So it doesn't appear to sell. But I think in the end, in, in, a, in a local community, if I'm looking for information about what's going on in my community that's going to, to impact me in some way, I want to know both sides so I can make my own decision. I like that. But if you go back to the local, local global story. The uh -huh. local one is going to be biased towards what is local uh -huh. by, by nature of the, what they're going to cover, which isn't necessarily uh -huh. about the perspective, but it is about the, what they're covering. And yet that is a filter. You know, in other uh -huh. words, you know, if, if you want an objective view of what's going on in the world that's important, yeah. is the car accident that happened or the four-alarm fire? <laughs> you know where I'm going? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think, you know, a lot of that was born out of this, what I call market research based news. And I think that is really sort of to your point. You know, your point is that what sells now is is giving people what they want. Mm -hmm. And that is a point of view. You know, many years ago, giving people what they want was this idea of if it bleeds, it leads. I mean, we had consultants that came in, you know, news is a money making business, like mm -hmm. like everything else, right? Mm -hmm. So we had consultants that came in and said, it's great that you're doing uh, reporting on, on this, this, what's going on at the city council, what's going on here. Um, but is that really what people want to watch? Let's give them what they want to watch. And I think that's your their, the whole point that you're making here is that is that people want a point of view now, and so that's what news is giving them. Um, in some respects, I feel like we do ourselves a disservice when we listen to so much market research because at some point we've got to say maybe that's not what everybody wants. Maybe you can stand out by going back to the basics of journalism and saying, these are the facts on this side of the story, these are the facts on, on this side of the story, you decide. Well, there's no doubt that there is something of an existential issue for journalism. On the one hand, there's never been a bigger need for greater objectivity and more thorough journalism uh, than mm -hmm. in this you know, wasteland of material that we're getting out. On the other hand, there's never been a bigger crisis in the economic model and the need to sell. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And marrying those two and, and, and figuring, <laughs> figuring out how to make sure that you are doing the right thing from mm -hmm. a journalistic perspective, but also making money on the other side, because it is, it is a money making business. That's the bottom line. Um, is is a crisis that I don't know that we're going to solve in our lifetime. <laughs> There's this thing of church and state somewhere in there still. So, <laughs> right? Um, so I, I, in, in terms of, of what's going on, we were just talking about Jason's comments about having a perspective and, and in branding, this is what he proposes and I, and I suggest I think is also really important for me is to have a perspective as, a, as an individual and I, I think of that less as a journalist, of course, and more as the notion of having a responsibility of having an ethic and, and therefore being able to express an opinion without having to be politically correct all the time to say, well, on the one hand and on the other, 
well, no, God damn it. What do you think about this as a business leader and, and or as an executive or an individual who's out there? Because if every time all you're doing is presenting, you know, politically correct, vanilla, both-sided, balanced arguments, how are you going to stand out? Uh, and how are going to people think are you going to authentic? But I think that's a really difficult shift. And I preach that with, with the business owners I work with, um, is, is making sure that they are communicating a point of view. Mm-hmm. And it is a very difficult shift from a business owner who has sort of played that vanilla line in order to not alienate people, yeah. right? I think it's 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 a modern shift. It's something that we're doing now that we weren't doing years ago, many years ago, that would probably be frowned upon. Mm-hmm. And if you're working sort of with somebody who's, who's used to uh, a traditional business, this whole digital, be transparent, talk about what you stand for. It, it's a really difficult shift. They don't, they don't want to do it. I mean, um, I can give you an example of, I, I work with a, um, a chiropractor who has, has got a wellness business and the American Heart Association just came out with a study on coconut oil and how bad coconut oil really, really is. Well, he completely disagrees, and he's got science to back it up. And he was not afraid to, to let us help him craft a blog that discredited a very large organization study on coconut oil. That, to me, is is edgy. That's putting yourself out there. But it's it only has the potential to, to build you up as a thought leader, to... Um, to attract the people that you want to do business with anyway. And yes, it may alienate some people, um, but those aren't the people you want to work with anyway. All right. So sort of morphing back into this notion of, of your learning from the 20 odd years you're working in, in media, how, what are you bringing into this, this world uh, and help us understand how we can be better at crafting our messages and our communications? Oh, I think it's something that you do very well, Mentor, and I think that's something that that most people, for whatever reason, it seems easy to me, but it's not for most people, and that's this notion of storytelling. And just bringing storytelling in to your business and the way that you communicate with the outside world. If you want to stand out on the internet, not only do you need a point of view, but you need to be able to tell stories. Um, and that, that's what connects us. That's what makes people want to do business with you. Um, that's what humanizes your company. Um, if people know your backstory or people know the reason behind why you're doing what you're doing, they're a little bit more inclined to relate to you as a human and, and, and less as a logo. So to me, the biggest strength that I bring on the digital marketing side is really honing in on, on what the business's story is and making sure that they are communicating it across several platforms. All right, so let me just take me through, uh, whether it's the chiropractor or whomever, who, how do you go about establishing a storytelling mode? Because in the end of the day, if I'm a rigid CEO, very mathematically oriented, great performance and all this and that, and when I speak, I'm sort of a wooden spoon, how, 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 you know, and I, and I, and I that and image is funny. That was a wooden spoon talking for those. Right, who is that, okay, I got it. Um, but this, this idea, uh, I, I'm thinking about a CEO, but I'm also thinking about how, let's say a comms team sometimes is they're so rigid. They're so process oriented. They have these institutionalized habits that they learned at school 20 years ago that were about, controlling the message and making sure it's buttoned down 
-hmm. as opposed to allowing for a more, not necessarily totally organic, but a more free-flowing, a more natural story. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in the example of, of the chiropractor, you know, I didn't know this about him when I first met him, and I learned this about him, and now he is sharing it in every talk hmm. that he gives. And he didn't even realize that it was something that he should be sharing. He said to me, should I be talking about this? And I said, well, yes, it's your why. You know, he had a he had a mother who was extremely um, sick throughout most of his childhood and in bed, um, bedridden most, most of the time, missed most of his events and 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 died when when he was young. And it was because she wasn't well and she there were things that she probably could have done to take care of herself better. She wasn't getting the right help that she needed. And that put him on his path to wellness and helping people um, eat better to to find a essentially what amounts to a cure for diabetes. Um, so and that's something now that he he did not think that would be. Should I tell people that? I mean, that was his question to me. I was I was shocked. I'm like, how can you not tell people that? That's why you're doing what you're doing, why you're passionate about it. So sometimes I think with comms teams, you know, asking the right questions of CEOs to get to the bottom of why they're doing what they're doing or what makes them um, so passionate about the work that they are sharing with the world. Sometimes it's just a matter of asking some of these questions that we're not maybe we're uncomfortable asking because they seem personal, but those are what's going to get you to the bottom of the stories of, of, of a company. And also then asking the clients of a company, what, you know, what has this company done to change your life? In, in the example of the chiropractor, again, we get some great stories from, from their patients of people whose lives have been completely transformed as a result of the work that they've done with this company and those are the kinds of things. And, and I have them in really good storytelling mode, Mentor. They they collect those stories from their clients. It's been great. And they see the value in that. And, and as a result, the business is thriving. So it, I'm listening to you. And I, of course, I was, my first brain wave was all about how it's really not about the personality in news. And yet, if you're the anchor, I've got to you know, delight off your eyes moving, your, your voice, you know, this whole mm -hmm. visual story going on. So it is by definition a personal delivery. And yet, you know, you want to make sure that the, the, the objectivity of the words coming out of your mouth. But on the other hand, when we're talking about these this personal stuff, it's so far from what we're taught at business school, which is all about performance and professional yes. stuff. Mm -hmm. And and I can't help but think that if you are, we're talking about being more emotional and bringing in intimacy into it i i use the term and i don't mean to be sexist about it but it's a it's a more female paradigm or feminine sorry, paradigm to allow for these things which men are generally less good at allowing you know to go behind the wall or at least that's the paradigm that the masculine version has always been about and we need to allow for this sort of more empathic more imperfect world to be exposed yeah, it's really hard to do. <laughs> it's still hard for me to do because I grew up in that world too. Right. So, uh, you know, I, I don't know that it is a, a male female thing. I mean, sometimes for me, it's about, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't need you to know too much about me. Right. <laughs> you know, I want, I want to maintain some of that mystery. I think there is a, there is a fine line between sort of allowing a little bit of vulnerability and personalization without getting 
overly personal. And I think it's sort of finding the right line for you. I mean, you see these people going online. And I always give the example of the, you know, the people going online and crying on the internet, you know, crying on YouTube and talking about their, you know, sob story or whatever. You know, I mean, that's not going to be most people. And, and I would suggest it, it isn't and shouldn't be most people. But if you can just allow a little bit more humanity, just give people a glimpse into who it is that you are and what you stand for, they're just going to connect with you better Mm -hmm. and, and take baby steps, dip a toe, you know, don't, don't, uh, you know, overly share, maybe just start telling some of your stories. People are, are fascinated by what got you to where you are. And if you're not sharing that, you're, you're really losing out on the ability to, to connect with potential customers. But back to your whole, you know, discussion about, the whole how people connect with with news anchors um, and this idea that, you know, when you're watching somebody on on television or really, you know, um, in person, I mean, most of your communication, right, like what, 55 percent of it is is visual. And so I, I really felt like when I was sitting on that anchor desk that I was being invited into people's living rooms bedrooms, wherever they were watching the news. And that felt like a real responsibility for me. And so I really tried to be warm and inviting and, but without giving up too much of who I was, I still wanted, like I told you some mystery Mm -hmm. to that, but by the same token, I wanted the warmth. And I think, you know, the only way to do that is to, you know, I was tweeting, things about my dog and my kid and, you know, on, on, um, Twitter and, and, and sharing some more personal things maybe on Facebook. But, um, but I always kind of had a line and I think that's what business owners can really hang on to. You don't have to cross a line that is uncomfortable for you, but just try sharing a little bit more than what you're used to. It, it really does bring up this notion of transparency because transparency is is there is a kind of like a hundred percentness to transparency either you see through or you don't see through it's it's yeah. transparent or you know oh, it's a little glazed and, and that's sort of one area of thought the other area of thought and i was i posted a, a on it last week was this notion of what makes apple so great as a brand what makes luxury brand a luxury brand and and maybe what makes a brand a brand and actually what makes a person of interest and that element of mystery yes. is, is, is fundamental. A, we, we, we should never, we're never able to anyway have a hundred percent knowledge of oneself. Therefore also should we never be able to present 100% who we are as an individual and therefore extension of a brand. There's always an element that needs to be kept some kind of mystery. And yet okay. we need to have more transparency. <laughs> yeah, I, I, again, I think it is, you have to decide as an organization, what you are comfortable with sharing, erring mm-hmm. on the side, in my mind, erring on the side of transparency. Yeah. Um, now, you know, if you have a, if you have a, a crisis, heaven forbid, if you have a crisis of some sort, um, you know, being upfront about what's going on and what you're doing about it is only going to serve you better. Um, 
maybe not sharing every single detail of what has happened, but, you know, crafting a message that is allowing people to see sort of what you're going through, how you're how you're changing the situation. I, that's not a bad thing. Um, but this idea of maintaining a little bit of mystery, uh, I really do subscribe to because that creates an intrigue. People don't know everything about you. And I think our inclination as people now, and I've, I've watched a lot of news anchors nowadays, what they do on social media is they share every bit of their lives. You know, everything about their families, you know, everything about their dog, you know, everything, you know, a lot of things about them. And in some respects, that's nice. That's warm. That's welcoming. But there's also where, where is the mystery? Where is the intrigue? Now I know everything about you. So trying to figure out what that line is, is it's going to be different for everybody. Um, and it's not an easy thing to figure out, but I think it has to feel comfortable for you as an individual. And then you need to sit down as a company and figure out where that line is. Hmm. You know, I, I love this conversation, you know, because it's making me realize maybe how I personally develop my quote unquote mystery. And I think of it as a temporal element. That's to say that I don't publish necessarily immediately. And by uh -huh. having that buffer between when it happens and when I publish it, there is a an, an evident gap between the raw, real-time, transparent activity uh -huh. and then the way I reposition it or choose to post it at a later time. And I almost think that that gap between 100% real and the uh -huh. way I position it is my level of mystery. So you take a beat. <laughs> exactly. You take a you take a beat, right? And and you and you and I think that's you know I think more people should be taking a beat. Hmm. <laughs> I really do. I mean, because sometimes people put stuff out there. I'm like, what? Why? Why? Why are you telling me all of this? Right. So and and I think you know companies need to take a beat um, as well in 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 sort of considering what it is that they're what they're sharing. Well, I, I agree on that. That's a strategy. But at the same time, I think companies generally speaking, suffer from taking too many beats with too many beats, which is, you know, decision making, crafting, perfect messages and all that. I want to, uh, Nina, I wanted before we close off, because time is of the essence and you we got our day. You got your full day to go. Um, <laughs> I need some coffee, mentor. <laughs> indeed. You joined uh, Duct Tape Marketing and, yes. uh, of course, uh, famous and uh, illustrious group. I um, wanted to know how that helped your business, per se, and what it brought to you and maybe... What are the, some of the key elements of that approach that you'd like to share with the audience? Uh, I cannot say enough good things about the Duct Tape Marketing Network. It, it's been absolutely crucial to the to the growth of my business. Um, not only has it provided the the education that I've needed, uh, because again, I'm I'm about five years into the digital marketing world, so I'm I'm still rather new here. Um, but it's it's provided what I consider a network of support like no other, and I feel very fortunate to have that because not everybody has that sort of network of support of like minded individuals. Uh, many who are farther along on their journey than I am, um, and my clients. Are I think are really the ones who benefit from that because if I can't answer a question or if, if I am unsure about a tactic, um, I've got a network of 125 people who, who have answers for me immediately. Um, the, the, I think the key elements of the, of the duct tape marketing approach are, are quite simple. And, and the bottom line with, with duct tape is the idea of strategy before tactics. Mm. We all get stuck in those, those rabbit holes of the idea of the day. I need to be doing this. I need to be live streaming. I need to be on this channel, focusing on, Strategy first allows you to 
get the clarity that you need to figure out what it is that you need to do to grow your business. And it also gives you confidence in the direction that you're taking. Um, so really honing in on who your ideal client is, what differentiates your business, and then figuring out sort of what the what is the logical progression that every customer has to go through to get to know you, to get to like you, to get to trust you, to end up trying something of, of yours, a, a service or a product to ultimately buy from you, repeat that business and refer. And that whole process, that logical progression is is what John of John Jantz of Duct Tape Marketing calls the, the marketing hourglass. It's really the core of the, the duct tape marketing system is, is figuring out what touch points, what processes, um, what product service offerings that you need to develop for each of those seven phases. No like, trust, try, buy, repeat, and refer. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I have, I have the duct tape, uh, I have the duct tape, uh, mantra down, You do. I love <laughs> but, it. but it, it, it's a great foundation for, for any business. And it's, it's a, a really easy thing to implement. The problem is most businesses don't want to take the time to do it. Beautiful. I, I and I, I like that, uh, beautiful conclusion. I also think that a lot of business leaders don't have the courage to take that sort of step in, as we were talking about before, about being a little bit more me, about being a little bit more storytelling, a little bit more personal, because we might even have that strategy, but if we can't give it some flesh and bones, make it feel realer, I mean, more, you know, more real and a little bit more human, human, as we were talking about before, then it sort of just becomes an intellectual exercise. Mm-hmm. I like realer. I think I'm going to use that. <laughs> Excellent. All right. So Nina Radovich, how does yes. one get best at get in touch with you? What's the, what are your preferred routes for being connected? Um, so I can be reached through my website, which is Nina Um That's R A D E T I C H because it's a hard one to spell. Um, I'm also really active on social media. I'd say that my primary platform is Twitter and I am at Nina R Vegas on Twitter. What happens in Vegas is not going to stay in Vegas today. No way. <laughs> Nina, thanks for coming on the show and uh, getting up so early to join me on Mindset. And uh, look forward to staying in touch and following on what you're doing. Thanks so much, Mentor. Thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue Show. You'll find the show notes on themindset.com. That's mindset with a Y. Where you can also sign up for my weekly newsletter at forward slash subscribe. If you like the show, please do rate it in iTunes. That really makes my day. Happy trails and enjoy Josh Sachs's Painted Fingers. Oh, fill me with all your colors any different way to rid me of the gray.
The ridges in our palms make colors blend and look ugly in the end. But they're pretty in their own disgusting values. We'd hang our portraits in the hallways, make our house guests cringe. Oh, I wouldn't care about the The world's best-known investor and Wall Street expert Warren Buffett once said, Wall Street is the only place that people ride to in a Rolls-Royce to get advice from those who take the subway. Mr. Buffett's quote is remarkably accurate, but how many people would rather receive advice from him than someone simply guessing? Welcome to Buy, Hold, Sell, your single source for Wall Street knowledge and profitable guidance. Please join me, Todd Schoenberger, and fellow trader Tobin Smith, as well as host Veronica Dudo, for a podcast known to move the needle for investors. Tobin and I are seasoned Wall Street executives with deep investment experience, and we are prepared to share our advice to those who choose to listen. Download Buy, Hold, Sell today on the Evergreen Podcast Network or your favorite podcast channel.